RTL Original Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Luxembourg History Podcast. My name is Tom Tutton and I'm your host for our second series. Today we're looking at one of Luxembourg's most important historical figures and the tradition he created which has continued to this day. We'll explore John the Blind's life and how he became mythologized as a national hero before turning to look at the history of the Schuberfauer down to the present day. We hope you'll enjoy the podcast. So first of all, how did a medieval monarch rise to such national fame in the centuries after his death? Well, John the Blind came from an illustrious family. We covered the dramatic ascent of the House of Luxembourg to the top of the medieval European game in our first series, which you can listen back to any time, of course. John was born in 1296 to Count Henry VII of Luxembourg, but his birth came at a difficult time for the family, shortly after the disastrous 1288 Battle of Voringen. Nevertheless, John's father managed to get himself elected King of the Romans in 1308 and was appointed Holy Roman Emperor in 1312 before his untimely death the next year. John therefore had big boots to fill and he tried his hardest to do so. At 14, he married the heir to the crown lands of Bohemia, earning him the title by which he is otherwise remembered in the history books, John of Bohemia. He was a largely successful ruler expanding the territories of the County of Luxembourg, taking Silesia for his Bohemian lands and building alliances and castles wherever he went. Not only that, but John also began to earn a reputation as a model knight, known for his chivalry and his willingness to go on crusade in Eastern Europe against the Lithuanians. This ensured that John the Blind was a big player in European politics, and he was thus drawn into the widening conflict between England and France beginning in 1337 that came to be known as the Hundred Years' War. At the Battle of Crécy in 1346, John was killed fighting for the French, but his story was far from over. After his death, John's legacy was preserved in part through the work of poet Guillaume de Machaut, who had served him for more than a decade. De Machaut lauded John as rivalling mythical figures such as Hector and Alexander the Great in his chivalric virtue, highlighting John's supposed selflessness, generosity and honour. His crusades against the Lithuanians, non-Christian barbarians in the language of the time, helped to promote the imagery of a legendary figure, but it was John's death at Crécy that was probably the most important factor in his posthumous European fame. Accounts of the battle were quick to point out that a powerful sovereign, the king of Bohemia and the son of a holy Roman emperor no less, had been killed. John's name was central to poetic renditions of the battle by medieval figures such as Eustache Deschamps and Jean Froissart, who portrayed John as having sacrificed himself for his ally, the French king. Even the English were aware of who they had killed. One well-known myth held that Edward, the Black Prince of England, copied the feathers on his crest and his motto, Ich Dien, from John of Bohemia after seeing his body on the battlefield. Both the feathers and the motto remain in use by the Prince of Wales, that's the title of the heir to the British throne, of course, although the story is actually believed to be false. So John of Bohemia was a medieval celebrity. But how was he viewed in Luxembourg? Well, his ancestral links with Luxembourg ensured that his body was moved to the Altmünster Abbey after his death. There, it became a sort of tourist attraction, with ceremonies to mark the anniversary of his death, and when the old abbey was destroyed in 1543, the only tomb to survive was John's, reflecting his enduring importance two centuries after Crécy. 
Interestingly, although most accounts agree that he did indeed lose his eyesight during his lifetime, John's epithet, the blind, did not enter into common usage until hundreds of years later. It was only by the 18th century that the nickname truly established itself, with prominent early modern historians of Luxembourg, François Pierret and Jean Berthollet, both calling the long-dead king Jean l'Aveugle. That's French for John the Blind, by the way. Pierret and Berthollet cemented John's legacy by emphasising the centrality of his Luxembourg domains, with the latter especially painting a picture of a monarch always desperate to return home after trips away to govern his bohemian lands or fight battles across Europe. When Luxembourg fell to the revolutionary French in 1795 after a long siege, local notables sought to protect John's remains and smuggled his bones out of the city. After some disagreements, they ended up in a monastery over the border in Metlash until 1833, when Prussian Crown Prince Frederick William visited the area and was presented with the remains. Frederick William was apparently sad to see the bones of a venerable medieval monarch in such a sorry state, and ordered the construction of a mausoleum in Castel, on the banks of the Saar, where John the Blind was buried again in 1838. The body now became part of a wider political conflict between Luxembourg, newly created Belgium, and powerful Prussia. Coinciding with the emergence of Luxembourgish nationalism, the dispute over John's remains once again elevated his standing, to the extent that in 1844 Luxembourg's Dutch king William II even agreed to contribute 10,000 francs to a fund aiming to build him a mausoleum. Although this would not be achieved in the 19th century, John now began to appear prominently in the first school books on Luxembourg's history, and he was mythologised for three explicit reasons. Firstly, he had allegedly loved his homeland, so much so that his contemporary bohemian chroniclers constantly criticised him for returning to Luxembourg. Secondly, he had founded the Schubefauer, but more on that later. Finally, he had died a heroic death at Crécy, which led him to be eulogised in poems, texts and paintings, which can still be seen in a number of museums in the Grand Duchy. These three elements of John the Blind's life made him a perfect national hero, and he thus became a central part of Luxembourgish identity. The final chapter of John's story was yet to come, however. In 1946, after the Second World War, the Luxembourg government made preparations to repatriate his bones from Castel. On August 26, 1946, that's the 600th anniversary of his death at Crécy, the remains of John the Blind, King of Bohemia and Count of Luxembourg, were reinterred in the Notre Dame Cathedral in Luxembourg City. And there, to this day, lies the body of Luxembourg's greatest historical icon. But his name lives on, of course, and it is inherently tied to one of Luxembourg's most celebrated traditions. When the school holidays come to an end every summer in Luxembourg, everyone knows it's time for the Schubefauer, the biggest funfair in the country, loved by children and adults alike. But how did this tradition survive down the centuries, and what is its relevance today? The Schubefauer was first founded in 1340 by our good friend John the Blind. At the time, it was to begin on the eve of St. Bartholomew's Day, otherwise known as Harvest Day, and the foa was not a funfair but a market where cattle and other agricultural products were sold. Originally, the fair only lasted eight days, far shorter than the usual twenty. The name Schubefauer is thought to either come from the first place it was being held, the Schudberg, now better known as Plateau du Saint-Esprit, or from the word Schober, which means barn. In 1610, the fair moved to the Glacis, where it is still being held today. Over the years, the market evolved into a fun fair with games and shows being introduced in the 18th century and the first roller coaster in the early 20th century. 
The fair is organised by the city of Luxembourg and covers four hectares on the Glacis. The car park has to make space for rides, food stores and much more. Being the biggest funfair in Luxembourg and the greater region, the event offers all the typical rides you would expect at a funfair, such as a Ferris wheel, roller coasters and merry-go-rounds. With a total of 180 attractions, the fair has got something for all tastes and ages, from toddlers to grown adults. Visitors nowadays do not only go to the fair to have fun on the rides, but also to enjoy the variety of different foods on offer at one of the many food stalls or restaurants. The fair is the perfect opportunity to try some of Luxembourg's specialities, such as Grand Prekichelche, which can also be found at different events like the Christmas Market, or Fauerfisch, a fish-based dish unique to the fair. After having enjoyed the rides and food, visitors can take a stroll down to the Allee Schäfer, where vendors sell all kinds of goods from nougat and grilled almonds to kitchenware and clothes. In the daytime, you mostly find families enjoying the fair, but in the evenings... It is transformed into a popular nightlife spot, with bars and some of the restaurants even becoming proper clubs where artists perform live. The evening is also the best time to be mesmerised by the colourful lights present on every ride. Traditionally, the fair is opened by the mayor, who then takes a stroll together with other politicians over the fairground. Another important part of the opening ceremony is the Hemmelsmarsch, or Mutton March, during which musicians, dressed up as 19th century farmers, follow a flock of sheep while repeatedly playing a well-known Luxembourgish song. The sheep used to be the first prize in shooting galleries and were used as promotion by the fairgrounds organisers. However, this part of the tradition has not been carried on to the present day, as the sheep are no longer being sold on the glacis every summer. All in all, the Schuberfoa is a must in Luxembourg's summer and is not to be missed, whether you go for the adrenaline rush of the rides or just to enjoy some good food. But the caveat to all this, of course, is that the Schuberfauer has been unable to take place in both 2020 and 2021 due to the coronavirus pandemic. Let's hope that by the time you hear this, you'll be able to join in the celebrations, all the while remembering the tale of its founder John the Blind. That's all we've got for today. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next episode of the Luxembourg History Podcast. This episode was based on articles by Thomas Tutton and Zara Castagna, and a book by Pitt Piporté. Script adaptation and hosting by Thomas Tutton and brought to you by RTL Today.